Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pure Thoughts is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Pure Thoughts comes direct from legends of the game as they share secrets of their success. Welcome to Pure Thoughts, Nancy Lieberman. I'm Bruce Bernstein. For this native of New York City, being a battler is in her DNA. For the self-described poor skinny red-headed Jewish girl from Queens, her path to the Hall of Fame was never easy. Growing up in the 1960s and early 70s, she might never have been a basketball player if not for the discrimination she encountered. My first sport was uh, football and about seven, eight years old. And uh, I played in a tackle football league. And then I started playing baseball and I was playing PAL PAL baseball until unfortunately uh, before our first game, I was told that I could not play because they wouldn't insure me because I was a girl. And that was the first time I had ever felt, I didn't know if the word was discrimination at the time, but it was more disappointment. And I walked into a local like a YMCA and I said, can I play here? And they said, yes. And I said, can I play on a boys team? And they said, yes. And that was the beginning of everything for me. And uh, I never looked back. Although she dedicated herself to basketball, Nancy still had to battle against stereotypes. But her battles were worth it because basketball was much more than a game for her. Coming from a broken home, the bonds she developed through the game turned into family-type relationships that she desperately needed. Well, I wasn't always welcomed with open arms, but I also knew that this is what I love to do. And and honestly, I never was a kid that got caught up in all those like mind games. I call them mind monsters. They want me. They don't want me. I'm a girl. They, it, it, all I knew is that I was bullied. You know, you're a tomboy. The words hurt me because I needed sports more than sports needed me. And I was a poor kid. Uh, from a one-parent family, you know, growing up with no father and no food, no electricity sometimes, no heat. And we were one grandparents away from food stamps. So what I was doing was very important to me. It was building my confidence, my self-esteem, my decision-making. And quite frankly, sports made me feel good about me. When they said, we'll pick the girl, that was almost like saying, you love me. And those are things that I was not getting at home. So everybody, as I mentioned, has something in their life. And I'm really grateful that sports filled a void because I could have joined the gang. I could have carjacked you. I could have, you know, I could have done, you know, been stealing and doing things that other kids were doing. But I, I, I fell in love with this game. And it is a great love story, by the way. It's, it's never abandoned me. It's never hurt me. It's only loved me, this game of basketball. And I'm trying to give that same love, um, same love back to the game. And 
you you don't grow up wanting to be a Hall of Famer or an Olympian or a trailblazer or whatever those nice words are. I played basketball because it, it, it was fun. I was with friends. It made me feel good. And I hope every kid still does that. Always in search of a game against the best competition, as a teenager, Nancy used to take the subway from Far Rockaway to Rucker Park in Harlem. As the only female playing against mostly African-American males, she developed a toughness and bravado that she learned from her personal heroes, none of whom looked like her. You know, I was lucky because when I didn't have any supporters or female role models, you know, all my role models were African-American men. You know, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, uh, Dr. J, and, and my ultimate hero, Muhammad Ali, those guys were the focal point of who I wanted to be. And it wasn't really until, you know, Ali and I met in uh, 79. Um, we were both the athletes, ironically, making an appearance at the New York Stock Exchange for the Olympic Committee. It was a fundraiser. And Old Dominion had just won their first national championship and I was player of the year. And, but Ali was my man. And I couldn't breathe when I was in the room with him. And it was crazy. I mean, my mom goes up to him and starts hugging him. Mr. Muhammad, you know, with her New York accent, my daughter is the, the greatest of all times. And he's like, look, lady, there's only one greatest of all time, and it's me. And she's like, no, I know you're good, but my daughter, she is the greatest. And he calls me over and he goes, your mom says you're the greatest. And I'm like, or he says, you know, your mom says you're really good. And I go, no, you know, and I was really, I couldn't even look at him because I was like shaking. And I go, no, Mr. Muhammad, you know, I'm not, uh, and I'm bumbling and stumbling. I go, I'm the greatest of all times. <laughs> and he looks at me and hugs me and he goes, there's two of us. And I'm like, yeah, 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 there's two of us. And I hit people too. And he goes, I'm going to ask you not to hit people. And what I said to him was, you hit people. He goes, I get paid to hit people. He goes, Nancy, you can't beat up everybody that hurts your feelings. I said, but they make me feel bad, Mr. Muhammad. They make fun of me and they tell me I'm stupid and dumb and I'm never going to make anything of myself. He goes, God made you special. He goes, there's something about you that's different. And I said, how do you know that? You know God too? Muhammad Ali knows God? <laughs> I was so stupid. I got a little Jewish mother too, just like you got a little Jewish mother. And they always think that their baby is the greatest of all time. But, you know, so I guess I guess we have that in common, right? <laughs> yeah, a absolutely. But he was funny because, you know, he, he was great. I mean, he looked at at me and he knew I was like a broken fraudulent little kid not that I was little but he knew and and we sat there that one day and he says to me there'll never be a day that I'm not in your life and I was like but you're Muhammad Ali and he goes that's right I am and we are going to be friends for life and true to his word to the day we buried him three years ago June he was every major thing in my life I could at least run it by him whether it's playing in, uh, you know, playing for the Lakers in 80 uh, in the summer league and Pat Riley being my coach or, you know, going and playing in uh, the WNBA at 39 or 50. And the joke used to be with me uh, later on in life, I'd come over to the house in Phoenix and I'd sit there and I'm like, Muhammad, you know, I've come out of retirement more than you. And Lonnie Ali would sit there and go, 
he's been waiting all day for you and that's what you said you tell him <laughs> and you know he'd give me that you know biting his lips and kind of balling up his his hands and i you know i'm really i'm really fortunate you were saying when you were talking to ali that you hit people and I think you told me a story one time about when you would go up to Harlem to play ball on the playground and your mom was worried about you. And she said, Nancy, you know, be careful, whatever, or, or, you know, I'm worried about you. And you told her, don't worry, mom, I won't hurt any of those guys. That's really kind yeah, of your spirit, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it? Well, obviously I was either stupid or oblivious uh, to, you know, my surrounding areas. But I would, you know, I would take T-shirts, I'd put it in my jacket when I rode the train, the A train, um, you know, from Far Rockaway to, uh, to, to, to Rucker Park. I would switch, switch chains, uh, switch uh, the trains in the, uh, in the city. And then I'd get off at 155th and walk into the park, but I had a jacket and guys would look at me like little girl, you know, little redheaded Jewish kid, skinny girl. Are you lost? I said, no, are you? <laughs> and it was do it to them before they did it to me. And they're like, you know where you are? I said, yeah, Rucker Park. And then I, the guy who was talking to me, I said, is your name Rucker? He goes, no. I said, good, it ain't your park. And I want to play, and I heard you were good, and, and I want to be really good, and, and I need you to help me be good. It, you know, it, it was really, you know, pretty unbelievable how I was treated. Those guys who'd ride the train home with me, Ronald, Donald, and Gary, and they just make sure I got home safe. And it wasn't the day of, you know, like, hey, I'm texting you. I'm going to be there at 510. You had to pick, you had to pick the, the train, the time. I would have to call on my landline to their landline. I mean, we had to do it the old-fashioned way, communication. So that, that was really important. And they, they really cared about me. And I appreciate, you know, how much they were willing to help me. You know, everybody needs support and, and the guys, you know, the African-American guys in, in uh, Harlem, they celebrated me. They didn't tolerate me. And that, that was very important. Where, you know, uh, honestly, some white people were telling me, you know, they were so negative to me and telling me what I couldn't be. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, you're a little girl. Girls don't do this. And I was telling them, don't, don't stereotype me. Don't, you know, you should be telling me what I can be instead of telling me what I can't be. And I, so I became just so, oh, so hard headed in, in, in my spirit. And it was like, I, I would just close in on me to protect me. I didn't want the outside world, you know, influencing me in a negative, in a negative way. As Nancy was earning respect from the guys at Rucker Park, she was also competing for her high school team. And before she ever spent a single day on a college campus, she found herself in the running for a spot on the 1975 Pan American team. But as always, there were obstacles she needed to overcome. Obviously, I had been playing up in Harlem and playing, you know, uh, in, the, in the parks in New York. And when I got to Far Rockaway High School, I was, uh, you know, playing on the, the varsity. And one of my coaches called, at the time, um, it was called Olympic House, and there was one in New York. And later on, they told me it was the first 
athlete that they received a phone call on that ever truly made the Olympic team. So I think my gym teacher called over to the Olympic house and said, we got this, you know, young girl who is, um, you know, really good. And they're like, lady, do you know how many phone calls we get? And so they, I don't know if that went anywhere, but in 1974, there was a tryout. It was almost like America's Got Talent. There was four areas around the country, USA Basketball. It, it, it was a, called ABA USA. So there was a tryout in Queens College and, and three other markets. So I saw a little ad in the Long Island Press, and it said tryout U.S. playing three games against Russia. So I just went with like five of my teammates, and it was like getting a number to run a marathon. They pinned a number on you. It was free. And there were 250 girls at uh, Queens College in New York, and it started at like 8 in the morning and ended at 6 at night. And every couple hours, they'd make cuts. And you would, you know, run and look at the, the number on the wall and hope your number was still alive. And I kept doing this. Now, I was only, you know, 14 and a half, 15 years old when I went to this tryout. And at the end of the day, they picked 20 players for the last scrimmage, 10 on each team. I was on that. And then they selected 10 to go to the USA pre-camp in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So this is where the story changes my life and maybe changes a little bit of the history of women's basketball. I go home that night. I'm like, mom, 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 you're not going to believe this. I just made this tryout for this U.S. team and I'm going to Albuquerque. And she goes, honey, I can't put food on the table. How am I going to fly you to Albuquerque? I'm like, mom, I have to go. I mean, the U.S. team needs me. (laughs) And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. So my, my high school principal, my assistant principal, Barbara Sackowitz, she took a can of corn, opened it, cleaned it, ripped the label off, typed on, a, on an envelope, we're endeavoring to raise $300 to send Nancy to the Olympic tryouts, and taped it to the can. That can went door to door in Bayswater in Far Rockaway, and they raised money for me and my uh, high school coach, uh, Larry Morris, to go to Albuquerque. So there were 40 of us, 10 from each of these regions. At the end of three days, I was one of the 10 of the 40 picked to go to the um, to be with the USA team, the national team. And here I am playing against Pat Summit and Ann Myers. And, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old and they're proven, uh, proven stars. So I, I went and I went through and I had my ribs broken on the second day. So I'm getting ready to go home. And the coach is in the car, Alberta Cox, and they're driving me to the airport. And she turns around because I'm in the back seat. And she goes, now, honey, now you work on your game. We're going to need you in 1980. I'm sitting in the back seat. And I looked at her and I said, you know, coach, like I'm not real smart or nothing because like I'm from New York. But I know that 76 comes before 80. And I'm going to be on the 76 team. So you're going to have to get used to me. (laughs) And she just looked at me like, how dare you say that? Okay, so I'm always on the other side of fear. I'm not afraid. I respect everybody and I fear nobody. But I'm always living on the other side of fear. I'm not going to let that rule my life. And I went home and worked my ass off and made the 75 Pan Am team. We won the gold medal and then made the 76 team as a senior in high school when we won, you know, the silver medal. It's crazy, but 
that's kind of who I am and that's who I am today on this interview. I am not afraid to coach men. I'm not afraid to try to win. I'm not afraid to be in the NBA. It's, it's an honor and a privilege what has happened to me in my career. And I don't take it for granted. Um, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be. And those are the words of Muhammad Ali. After the 1976 Olympics, where she became the youngest women's basketball player to win a medal, Nancy began a legendary college career at Old Dominion University, where her teams won two national championships. She was the first two-time winner of the Wade Trophy, given to the Women's Player of the Year. She was a three-time Kodak All-American. And if not for the 1980 Olympics boycott, she'd have been a two-time Olympian. Then, Nancy began her professional career, and once again, she found herself playing against men. Nancy was on the Los Angeles Lakers Summer League team, playing for Pat Riley in 1981. She was also a member of the Washington Generals, who played against the Harlem Globetrotters and never won, but she definitely did compete. She played in the old USBL, a men's professional league, and she was a charter member of the WNBA, playing for the Phoenix Mercury in 1997 at the age of 39. She also became a head coach in the WNBA and even made a comeback as a player at the age of 50. She's been a successful broadcaster whom I worked with at ESPN, and I can tell you from personal experience, she was one of the most insightful analysts I've worked with during my four decades in media. Not only was she a great analyst, she was also a rich source of basketball knowledge in our show meetings, and her generosity towards her colleagues was legendary. You have to be the voice, not the echo. And I, I, I like I said before, I respect everybody, but I fear nobody. Because again, maybe it's that minimum, minimalist um, attitude of mine. I could either get hired or not get hired. ESPN could want me to work for them or not want me to work for them. And I don't get all these mind monsters in my head. You know, so many times in life, women, we're always stepping on landmines. Oh my God, boom, I'm not a good mom. Boom, I wanna work. Boom, dinner wasn't on the table at the right time. Boom, um, so-and-so is mad at me. We gotta stop stepping on landmines and detonating them ourselves. We just have to be confident in what we do. That means you have to do your work. You can't be just as good. You have to be better than. You just have to fit in with people. Uh, you don't get jobs anymore on resumes. You get jobs on relationships. And just be a good person, you know? Lift when you rise. Help other people around you be successful. And then all of a sudden, how you used to think, because I was gonna be the greatest of all times. I was dead set. This is what I was going to do. I was going to be just like my man. And then, you know, he taught me about racism and he taught me about philanthropy and he taught me about there's two people in life. There's givers and takers. Uh, you know, uh, if you're, if you're always catching, you're a taker. If you're throwing something back, you're a giver. What are you doing for other people around you? And, you know, to be an influencer, I have to give you a reason to follow me not because I make more money or I'm more famous or I have a better title, because you see something special in me that you want to emulate. And I just don't see, uh, and look, I've made my fair share of mistakes. You know, I'm sure I've been a pain in the ass. Um, if women are a little, you know, alpha, 
you know, sometimes they could get, you know, get called, you know, things that I don't really want to say where sometimes men are a shining star or they're a silver bullet or my gosh, look how tough and aggressive and he's going to be a star. And if we do it, you know, sometimes like, man, she's a bitch. She's a pain in the ass. No, we just want, we just want success. We just want opportunity, but we also have to find a balance of how to get to it and then have long-term sustainability. You don't want to be a one-hit wonder. A one-hit wonder? I don't think there's any chance anyone would ever describe Nancy Lieberman that way. The name of this series is Pure Thoughts, and its purpose is for legends to explain what makes them tick. And when it comes to creating a better society, Nancy definitely would like to help there, and she believes that sports set a great example for the world at large. All I can say about sports, if the rest of the world were like us, there'd be no problem with anger and hate because I've never come down the court and looked at a white person or a black person and went, yeah, I'm going to go to the white person. No, that's nonsense. It, 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 when you're in sports, there's this love, there's this camaraderie, there's fellowship, there's competitiveness, there's swag and ego and determination. And, you know, there's all sorts of people in my locker room. And, and who gives a rat's behind if I look different? Who cares? As long as we can, can be there and help each other. And, and that's really important to me also, especially in, in this crazy time in our country where so many people are angry. They get up, they don't even know why they're angry. And they're angry because they read in the newspaper they should be angry. And it's like, stop it, man. Stop being influenced by people who just want to fight. Let's get along. Let's help each other. Let's be prosperous. Let's pick people up and, and show them another avenue in life. Nancy Lieberman was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1996, but her competitive fire burned then and it burns as hot as ever now. In 2009, she was named head coach of the Texas Legends of the NBA Developmental League, now known as the G League. That made her the first female head coach of a men's pro team. She was an assistant coach for the NBA Sacramento Kings for three seasons starting in 2015. She was the second female assistant in NBA history. And in 2018, she led power to the Big Three Championship as head coach. She was even featured in the 2019 ESPN body issue at the age of 61. With her success at every level of basketball, both on the court, as a coach, as a broadcaster, there's no better example of a pure basketball soul than the great Nancy Lieberman. Pure Thoughts is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 